Well, good morning. My name is Matt. I'm part of the leadership here at Grace City Church, and it is, uh, it's so good to see you. There's faces I don't recognize. Welcome if this is your first time. Uh, we are actually in a, in, a, in a series. We've been in it for a few weeks, um, which we have called Fear Not. Uh, and this morning, as we've been going through, you'll know from previous, uh, previous mornings, we've been looking at all these different specific fears, fear of the future, fear of money, uh, things like that. But this morning, we're looking at perhaps the fear that, for some in this room, may be the, the most personal fear that we have explored together. And this is the fear of being alone. The fear of being alone. And if you do have a Bible with you, just ask that you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to read a few verses from there this morning. And as we begin to look at this topic of being alone and loneliness, there are different sorts of loneliness, aren't there? Um, so, for example, if you, if you are lonely in your marriage, well, th- that can be a particular sort of loneliness uh, with its own particular challenges. Or if you, are, if you are suffering with some long-term health st- stuff, there's a particular kind of loneliness to that as well because other people might not be able to empathize or might not be able to kind of get into your shoes. There are, there are different kinds of feeling alone, but there's one particular kind that we want to specifically uh, speak to this morning, and that is the fear of being alone in singleness. That is what... We are going to talk about in particular this morning. Not that what I have to say this morning won't speak to those other sorts of loneliness, but this is what we want to address this morning. Um, And each week, as you you might have noticed, we've been getting someone up to share. Excuse me, to share their story, to share their um, just where they where they're at with fear and where they are with with faith. And uh, this morning, I've asked uh, I've asked Sarah to come and uh, share uh, her story, her, uh, her walk with fear and with um, trusting in God in this area. But Sarah isn't actually here today. <laughs> um, but that's okay, because we asked Sarah to uh, film, uh, just video her story. And so she, she's done that. Sarah, if you don't know Sarah, Sarah is one of our amazing life group leaders. We, we value her immensely. We love, I'm sure Sarah's listening online. Sarah, we love you. Um, and I, I would just love us to start, as we look, as we start to delve into this subject together, I would love if we could just listen, begin by just listening to Sarah and her story. Let's play that video. Good morning, Grace City. It's Sarah. Um, I'm actually filming this video in Denham, Quebec, so I'm unfortunately not with you guys this morning, but I'm visiting two of my good friends that I haven't seen or spent time with in many years, so it's Really nice escape, but um, I wish I could be with you guys this morning. I know that Matt has told me a bit about what he's speaking on this morning, and I, I'm confident that it will be a good service, and I uh, wish I could be there to talk to you guys a little bit about my own journey with being single, but I guess a video will hopefully suffice. <laughs> um, so I have been single on and off, essentially, for most of my life. I'm 31 years old, and I'm really in a place where I'm happy and I find content in life Um, but that wasn't always the case I think that for the longest time I saw being single as being like a failure kind of like I needed to have someone else to complete me or to speak to my worth and that's kind of been the journey for many years just realizing kind of 
having to come to terms with the fact that that's not the truth. And so there have been seasons where I've been very insecure about being single. I often make self-deprecating self jokes about it. Um, and often it was kind of never far from the top of my prayer list. Anytime I was kind of coming to God, it would always kind of be, Lord, I would love to be married and have a husband and have kids. And, um, and it's weird. I know I had always thought that I would be married at like 21. That was my goal when I was in my teens. I'll be married at 21 and I'll have kids shortly thereafter. Um, and so here I am 10 years after that and that's not the case. And there's obviously some sadness that comes along with that, but I was telling Matt and Rach the, uh, the other night that um, I just found, I was in this place for our prayer and worship morning about a month ago. Someone said, you know, let's, let's come to God and contend for the things, the desires of our heart that we want. And I remember being in that place and I was sitting there for like two minutes just being like, God, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want? Like, and I think I realized that I'm in this place where I'm genuinely happy and 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 it's and it's good like I'm happy with my job I'm happy with my relationships with other people I'm very very happy to be a part of our church family and it took me like about honestly two or three minutes of being like God what do I want what should I be praying for in this season um for me to realize oh like I mean I guess like I'd like a husband and a family um and it was really cool because I think that in the past that was something that I was always on the forefront of my mind. I had this sense of I wasn't worth anything until I had someone to make me feel like I was worth that. But my life has kind of been a journey of realizing that actually that identity comes from myself and my relationship with God. Like, it, I am completely contented in life and though I would love to get married still, I would love to have kids, I'm genuinely happy. I think that my relationships with other people would not be the way that they are today if I was in a relationship. I wouldn't be able to be the best aunt possible, um, be able to be the best friend possible. I wouldn't be where I am in my career. Um, and not to say that those are things you can't have if you're married, um, but I just think that there's so much fullness to be had still and it isn't this idea of arriving. Um, in no way do I feel alone uh, and in no way do I feel like my life is incomplete. I genuinely feel a sense of fullness um, in my relationships with others and in my relationship with God. Um, yeah, I'm happy. And that could change tomorrow in terms of I could find someone and get married and that's good too. But there's something to be said about uh, just this phase of life that I'm in where I can kind of pour more of myself out into the people around me. Um, yeah, I definitely, definitely do not feel alone. I'm very, very happy. And I, I know that that was not always the case. I was always kind of left wanting. So I hope in some way that this is an encouragement. I really wish I could be with you guys here this morning and I'm sure Matt will do an amazing job talking about this. Bye. Pretty amazing, right? Just, well, Sarah, yes. I don't know if the mic is picking up. Everyone's clapping for you, Sarah. Yeah, we, we really appreciate that. I'm just honest. This is where I'm at. This is where I've been. This is how long it's taken for me to get from here to, to there. You see, this is the reason why we would decide to spend a whole morning talking about this subject of, of all the subjects. I mean, if you just look around you now and look at the people who are, who are sat about you, we are largely a people, a church of uh, people in our 20s and 30s. A lot of students, a lot of young professionals. This is, just in terms of the age range, a fairly young church. Um, and, and we are largely a church of unmarried people. 
And so let me give you just quickly two reasons why you should engage with this topic this morning as we talk about it, even if you are married. In fact, the very first reason is just for the married people in the room. Married people, at least half of you will be single again. Sorry, I don't know if that's a little bit morbid. Um, I know that's not something we really like to think about, but your spouse may die before you do. So just because you are married today, do not assume that you are done with singleness. And the second reason is just simply what affects some of us affects all of us. That is, the, that is the New Testament picture of church, that we are a body made up of different body parts together, right? So if I, if I jump down here and I go to Josh and I stab him in his foot, sorry, Josh, this isn't, like, this isn't coming from any kind of personal animosity, so it's an illustration for the sermon purposes. It's fine. So if I stab Josh in his foot... Josh's mouth doesn't go, oh, I'm just a foot. It doesn't, I'm just a mouth. It, he, I'm not a foot. It doesn't affect me. Right? And, and if I stab Josh in his foot, his hand doesn't go, well, I'm not a foot. I'm a hand. This does not affect me. No, that's not how, that's not how bodies work. That's not how the church is meant to work. So if, there is so if some of us are struggling with something or finding something hard, it's a problem for all of us. That is the church, the sort of church that, by God's grace, we are. By God's grace, that's the church that we will be. And when it comes to singleness, we all have a stake in this as God's family together. Is that right? Yes, it is right. There were some people nodding, some people less sure. I'm just going to keep preaching and you'll be with me by the end of this. I've just, I've just had this real sense this week, just in, in thinking about this and preparing this, this, this sermon, that this is actually going to be a really key time for us as a church, just a key family time. I don't know if this is your first time this morning, perhaps, perhaps this is your first time in church ever. I, I actually think this is going to be a really interesting morning for you because of the uniqueness of the Christian perspective on this issue. What you're going to hear this morning, what you're going to see this morning, is so very different than what you will hear elsewhere in Ottawa this morning. It's quite surprising, even. So that's why we're talking about this. And I want to speak quite broadly about this topic this morning. This is an important admission. I've got to kind of do a hands up and admit something that I cannot speak to every experience of singleness in this room. Okay, so if you are here this morning and you are 19, any 19-year-olds in the room? Yes, some 19-year-olds, some right? If you are 19 right now and you are single, your experience of singleness is going to be different to if you are 29 and single, or if you are 39 and single, and so on. Or your experience, if you've never been married and you are single, is going to be quite different to if you have been married and are now single. If you've been divorced, if you've been bereaved. So I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to be talking about this quite broadly, kind of because I have to. But that's okay. You know, this isn't the last time we're going to be delving into this topic. So let's talk about singleness. And I want us to be really clear. What do I mean when I talk about singleness? What do I mean? Let's, let's define that term. What does, what does the Bible mean when it talks about singleness? Well, this is, when I say that word singleness, what I'm talking about is about being both 
unmarried and sexually abstinent. Unmarried and sexually abstinent. So just a a little bit about me. Uh, I had uh, not been in a relationship for really most of my life. It it wasn't until last year, uh, age 26, that I began my my first relationship. Uh, And yet, still, in something long-term that I am... Uh, now I I still fit within the, the this kind of this this definition of singleness, right? I am unmarried. I have not entered in to any marriage covenant with anyone, and I am celibate, and I have been my entire life. For for Christians, for the Bible, being single is not merely about a lack of marriage vows but about being celibate for as long as we are single because Jesus teaches that sex outside of marriage is a sin so unmarried and celibate is just what it looks like what 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 faithful christian singleness looks like this this is because sex which god made is is to fit within god's plan for marriage which God made, because marriage is meant to be the, the, one of the big ways that the world gets to hear the gospel that God made. And so, so sex within marriage it, and, and its holiness and, it, and its safety and security is so important because it, 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 really, it really affects whether the gospel gets out and changes people's lives for the better. You know what I mean when I said earlier, what you might hear this morning is probably going to be different to what you might hear elsewhere in Ottawa. This is what I'm talking about. And this really, just just how some people will have heard what I have literally just said, really brings me to the first fear that I want us to to get to grips with. The fear um, of being alone and the fear of singleness, like this definition of singleness about being unmarried and sexually abstinent, is really a part of what Sarah was even just describing herself. The fear that to be unmarried and celibate is to be less than whole. To be less than whole. That is a state wherein one does their very best to just get by, sort of subsist. See, this thinking was exemplified to me a few years ago. I was, I was at, a, at a wedding back in, back in England, and it was a wedding of some real dear friends, and, and some of us were just hanging out between the, between the service and the, the reception, and there was this one friend of mine who was single uh, and 30, and she, she turned to me at one point during, as we were just hanging out, and just in a moment of remarkable honesty, just said to, said to me, I am so done with being single, I hate waiting for my life to start. This is, this is such a common approach to, to life, really, that we kind of put all these different life stages in a, in a hierarchy, right? At the beginning, this is the way we're told to think about it, at the beginning we're single and we're down here, but then maybe we start dating and we go up a rung. And then maybe we, we, um, we, we get engaged and we become yet more worthwhile, and then maybe that it does end up in marriage, and we're still yet, oh, we're even more valuable 
And then maybe there's other things, you know, you get the house, you get the cottage, and, and then you have kids, and you're even more, like, you, you just keep on climbing this, these, these rungs. And the very the end of this game, the final boss of this game of life is you, you get grandkids, and then you've made it, you've won, you are, you, you've got it all. And that is how we, we can look. And I, you know what? I want this kind of thinking to be uprooted in the life of this church. Why? Because what, what does, what, are, what is the fruit of this kind of thinking? What, what is produced by this kind of thinking? Well, it, it, it leads to people of one stage of life looking down on people of a, of a so-called lesser stage of life. And then those people who are being looked down upon end up carrying a huge amount of shame because it's almost as if, well, I haven't got to where I should be. And what does that produce? It, it produces a lot of anger and bitterness towards God and confusion and hurt and pain. That's the fruit of this sort of fear. The fear of being unmarried can then, what it can do is it can just, it can end up controlling us in some quite incredible ways. So I remember going for a drink. It was actually, the, uh, I went for a drink with the guy who had been one of the, you know, the groom's, uh, the, uh, the, the, what do you call it, where the guy gets married? The groom. I was saying the groomsman. That's not the same thing. The groom, right? So I go for a drink with the groom, and he, he, it was another kind of rem- moment of remarkable honesty where this guy opens up, and he said, on that day, wedding day, that was the first time I felt like a man. How sad. How, how utterly tragic. That, that for, for him, his whole masculinity, his whole, deeper than that, his whole humanity was wrapped up in, in whether he had made it up to a certain life stage, up that hierarchy. It just controlled him. And you know what it did? It continued to control him. Because, listen, if, if you have the wrong view of singleness, you are just necessarily going to end up having the wrong view of marriage. Or another way, this, this fear of being alone in this way can control you. I remember, again, all these stories from back in England, don't worry. Uh, I, I, was, I, I, I was getting a lift from a friend of mine to, I think it was like a church prayer meeting or something like that. And um, she came by and picked me up in her new car. And she'd bought this, um, she'd bought this sports car, you know, two-seater. You can take the roof down in the summer. Like, it's... Uh, probably like a go kart to drive, and we're, we're kind of as we're as we're as we're driving to this uh, this church thing, and we're just we're just having a very normal conversation what about the car, about what it's like to drive, and then again in a moment, of remarkable honesty, she says, she says this, God hasn't given me what I wanted, a marriage, kids, so I've bought this car. It's kind of a it's kind of a funny sentence, but it, it 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 makes so much sense when you kind of take it apart because it's like okay, well, well, I deeply want these things, but God, who is meant to be good, hasn't given them to me, so I'm kind of contending with the way that King Jesus is ruling and reigning over the over the universe, and I'm but I, I'm feeling discontented, and I actually because I'm disagreeing with him on just this level, I I feel like he owes me. I feel like he he hasn't held up his side of the bargain. And so I feel like I can take life into my own hands and therefore I've gone and bought a sports car because I've, I've turned to that and I've said, save me rather than to God. 
We can take life into our own hands like this. Why, why do we end up thinking like this? Why, why do we end up thinking with these sorts of fears? That, you know, that singleness leaves us less than whole, that we are missing something. Well, the world we, we live in preaches to us that being unmarried and celibate is something hilarious. Like it's, it's, it's funny, and it's funny because it's so pitiable. This is, this is how and why films like The 40-Year-Old Virgin get made and make an enormous sum of money. You, you see this in all the romantic comedies, right? You take some, a film like Groundhog Day. You know Groundhog Day? You've got Bill Murray. And he, Bill Murray, he's stuck repeating the same day over and over again. He's stuck in this curse. Singleness is a curse, everybody. He's stuck in this loop. And how does Bill Murray break out? What must Bill Murray do? Well, Bill Murray must end up in bed with his soulmate. And only then does Bill Murray break out of that curse of doing the same day over and over again. And that's exactly what happens at the end of the film. Sorry, I've spoiled a film that's almost as old as I am. What's, what is all this communicating to us? Our culture is preaching to us that singleness is a curse. It is worth fearing. It goes, goes further than that. It's not, sometimes this fear doesn't just stop at, I am less than whole if I stay here. But it actually can become, you know what? Singleness is dangerous. Singleness is dangerous. We're, we're told, again, by, by the world that having sex is such a fundamental part of, of being human that to repress that, to, to deny that, well, that inflicts harm. That long-term sort of singleness, faithful biblical singleness, actually leads to danger. Listen, here, here's why we must be so careful with that sort of thinking. Because we, we Christians, we believers in the room, believe that Jesus is the most perfect and most fully whole human ever. And yet Jesus was never romantically linked, he never had sex, and he never got married. So to say or to believe or to internalize that having sex is a fundamental part of being human or marriage is a fund or having kids is a fundamental part of being human is to call Jesus subhuman. And we must reject that. See, that the Christian view of singleness is not that it is a half-life. It is not a case of just subsisting, waiting for my life to begin type deal, right? Here is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, in verse 7, speaking of his own unmarried state. So Paul is not a married man like Jesus. He says this, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So, so Paul says marriage is a gift, but he says singleness is a gift too. And Paul, he even goes further. He says, you know what, if I, was, if I got to choose everyone's gift, I would ask that every single person was single, like him. And some of us, I know, some of us do feel, like Sarah, that uh, she's got to the place where 
you know, I feel like my singleness is a gift. But I know that some of us don't. And I know that this causes for some of us a great deal of pain. Even we hear just some Bible being read out. And as Christians, we might hear it and we might know, I don't like how I feel. But we, we hear that and we just feel pain at that word gift. Because it doesn't feel, maybe to you this morning, like a gift. It might not. You know that, that whenever someone gives you a gift at Christmas, that isn't you just unwrap it and it's like this object is is the very definition of everything I hate. Is this person? Is this a cruel trick? But then in in the moment you realise you have to give this person a socially acceptable response, and so you realise you have to say something. You have to, but you don't know any words anymore, and and so you end up just going ah. And that's nothing. That's not words. That's nothing. And then you realize, oh, my face has to match up. Okay, um, I need to uh, smile. That's a th- I was like, oh, how do smiles go again? It's like, huh. It's like, is it some teeth? Is it all teeth? Huh. Is it gums? And, we, and we, can, we can have this sort of response of going, I hate this gift. This is not, to me, a gift when it comes to singleness. Why this gift, when everyone else, it seems, seems to have got the gift they wanted? I know for a number of us that are single, uh, our fear in singleness or our unmarried celibate state, I noticed that Sarah even mentioned it in her, in her video, is the, is the fear that we are missing out. That we are missing something. Whether it is love or affection or, or, or sexual fulfillment, or as Sarah said, a, a, a sense of being worthwhile, and a sense of being seen as, as valuable. You know what, I get it. I totally do. There have been times when I have strongly felt this, this fear that I, I'm just without something of crucial, fundamental importance. And this, this, can, this can lead us, unmarried people, just to live under a whole load of shame. That we're missing something. Missing something. You know, there's a writer and speaker from England called Sam Albury. I've just found what he has to say on this subject. It's so helpful on this subject and others. Um, he notes that in his experience as a single and celibate Christian, who, I mean, he must be in his, he must be around the age of 40. He's been single his whole life. And he notes that singleness is often defined by what it doesn't have. So he says, uh, we say that single people are unmarried. We don't say that married people are unsingle. Okay. But when the Bible defines singleness by what it doesn't have, what does the Bible talk about? It talks about something very different in, in verse 28. It says this, if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, right? So, so Paul is not negative about marriage. He's saying, no, if you get married, you have not sinned. You know, God, he knows God is the creator of marriage. It's his idea. But he goes on. He says, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. So when Paul defines marriage by what it doesn't have, talks about something very different. He, he starts to talk about 
worldly troubles. This is so important for us to remember, especially those of us who would tend towards an approach to life we might describe as the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, Paul, Paul wants us unmarried people to, to recognize that the grass is absolutely not always greener on the other side. You know, I am, I am just personally so grateful for the marriages within this church that make this clear to me. Which sounds like a, I, that sounds like a, a real backhanded compliment. I know, but I, I honestly, honestly mean it. The, the, the marriages in this church um, where I, I, am, I am being told and shown that in, even to get close, even to even get close to a healthy marriage takes an enormous amount of blood and sweat and tears and hard conversations and repentance self-sacrifice, to, to even get a little bit close. You know, when Paul talks about worldly trouble here, I mean, some of the most painful life stuff I've ever been around, that I've ever observed, really has happened within the context of marriage. A husband or a wife losing their spouse, losing their kids, experiencing miscarriage. This is just painful stuff that I can't, can't even imagine, really, as a single guy. I struggle to imagine it. So we must com- be so careful with comparing the best bits of marriage to the worst bits of singleness, because that's not the whole story. See, one of the things I would love us to get to as a church is to, is to get to the, the point where um, we, we all just believe that neither being married or being single is more valuable in the eyes of God. There is no hierarchy of life stages in God's eyes. It's simply not true. There isn't one that's more valuable or more worthwhile than the other. See, avoiding worldly trouble is not the only advantage of being, of, of this biblical sort of singleness. Now, let's just, I want to read from verse 32. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. See, we're doing this series about fear and anxiety. And well, Paul says that, you know what, the married person has more reason to be anxious Anxious about his family, about his kids, whereas the, the single person can be devoted to God more wholeheartedly. I, you know, I, just practically speaking, I have found, found this to be true. For, for me, there's just more time for the things of God, for just spending time with God, or, you know, writing this, or, than if I were married with children. I'll just give you one example of this. So a few years ago, when I decided to come to Canada, right? There's me, and there's Will and Holly Roper. Holly's at the back, Holly's down here. 
And, and we all feel this call. There's, you know what? We're, we're going to join this new thing that's going to happen in Ottawa. There's going to be a brand new church. Can you imagine such a thing? So exciting. And we, we all, we, what, what do you need to get into Canada? You need a visa. And so we all go into the same process to get this magical piece of paper where your border control people will go, mm, okay, we'll let you in. And so we all go for it. And you know what? When, when I, and we, we essentially, I don't know, we, we got the visa on essentially the very same day. I think Holly had to wait like a couple of extra weeks, yeah. But we essentially got it at the same time, right? And I see the email come in. Within the hour, I have booked a flight one month from that day. Will and Holly, they're married. They have two jobs. The minimum amount of money you need to get into the country is bigger, is greater. There, there are more friends and family to say goodbye to. It takes them longer do you see here there's a, there's a flexibility there's a there's a practicality to being single that that means the unmarried person can serve god and serve god joyously i you know i just know i am pulled in less directions there are less pressures on my time listen this is not this is not an Eeyore type. You know Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? This is not a, well, at least I can be useful. <laughs> useful and sad. No, it's, this, is, this is not that kind of thing at all. There are real joys on offer here. There is a real giftishness to this gift. I, you know what, I am convinced that when I am dead and gone and with Jesus, I will look back at being there to see a birth of a brand new church as one of the greatest privileges of my life. What a mind-blowing privilege of knowing some of you before you were saved. For some of you actually being there at that moment. Crazy. And some of that I just wouldn't have been there for had I been married. What an incredible gift singleness is. What an astonishing gift. See, if we are to continue as we are now, a church with a majority of unmarried people, I want us to be a church with a majority of unmarried people who are not wasting their singleness, who are loving it, who are finding so much life in it, and as an amazing gift of God, that we would get to know him better in it. See, marriage at its best is only ever meant to point us to what we can have with Jesus. It can only, I don't know, the best marriage in the room, and there is one, <laughs> out of all the marriage, there's one that's the best. That, that best marriage in the room, it, it's only a shadow of how Jesus the perfect bridegroom loves the bride, his church. And isn't it funny that Jesus, the, the perfect husband to, to the church, lived his whole life as a single man. He's a better husband than any in the room. See, ma marriage is a glorious shadow. It's a wonderful shadow, but it's still just a shadow. It's meant to point us to what Jesus has done. To, you know, the, every marriage in this room is temporary, but what Jesus has done for the church is eternal. 
If you are unmarried this morning, you, you, are, you are not waiting for your life to begin. It's simply not the case. Or waiting to become a real man or woman. You are not waiting to become valuable. You are made in the image of God. And that God the Father so loved you, so desired you, that he would send his one and only son who goes willingly to die and bleed on a cross and be raised to life again so that you would know how worthwhile and valuable and loved you have been. If you, are, if, if you know God this morning, there is no waiting to be done. And if you do not know God this morning, you don't have to wait either. Everything I've just described is freely available. This love of God is freely available for you to enter into this morning. And make no mistake, this is not an optional thing. You need to know God. You need that relationship. Jesus, he says this. He, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Now, in, in those days, bread wasn't optional. If you didn't have bread, you didn't have life. Let, like hunger and thirst, let's let our desires, whether they're for marriage or sex or kids let let's let those desires point us to what we can have with god that that always satisfies if you are dissatisfied in your singleness this morning let that or, or if you're dissatisfied in your marriage this morning let that dissatisfaction point us to the one who we can have everything of, that the one whom we can enjoy a completely free relationship with. Because we were made to, to know our maker face to face. That is our, the deepest desire of all of our hearts. So that's what I want us to do this morning. That's, what I, that's how I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning, is enjoying God. Do you know he's here? By his spirit, God is here. And he wants to remind you how much you are loved. Can I just ask, would you, would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we, we love what you have done. We, we love what you have made available to us. God, we're, we're so grateful that no matter who we are in this room, we are not waiting for our lives to begin, for our lives are found in Jesus for those of us who are Christians, that, that is true of us, that, that we, we live in him, we are united with him, and that we thank you that what Jesus has done will stand for eternity. God, we love you. We, we say you are, you are amazing. And God, I thank you that for, for any in this room who don't know you yet, who don't know that love, who perhaps they're, they're, they're looking for their ultimate satisfaction in this relationship or that relationship or sex or whatever. God, I thank you that they can turn from that and find that in you today. God, thank you so much for grace. Thank you so much for mercy. We love you.